0: Jared shared a scary story. But uh, for me, growing up, wasn't just one scary story. I was a scaredy cat, personally. You know, I hated being afraid, and I still hate being afraid. I think it started when I was about five years old. I have two older sisters. They invited me to go down a couple houses to go sleep in a tent with them and their best friend, Ann Ivers. And I brought my sleeping bag and a pillow And I was about five or six with them, and I fell asleep early because I was younger, and I woke up in the middle of the night about 12 12 at midnight, and everybody's gone. I'm sleeping in a tent all by myself, and I have to walk home with my sleeping bag and pillow crying all the way. I get in the house. My dad said, will you be quiet? Neighbors are sleeping. See, that's why I'm scared. We'd watch movies. My sister loves scary movies, and my dad loved taking out his teeth and sneaking up behind me while I'm watching the scary movie. Or at the worst part, he'd grab me and scream. So inside of me, I have this internal fear going on all the time. I remember I was uh, 18 and I had to sign up for the draft. I remember signing up for the draft, and all I could think about, I had this teacher in high school that loved to tell stories of Vietnam. I don't know why. And when I signed up for the draft, I'm just thinking, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Here's one story. She told these kind of stories. This is a personal story. This guy writes, The draft notice arrived on June 17, 1968. It was a humid afternoon. I remember, cloudy and very quiet. And I'd just come in from a round of golf. My mother and father were having lunch out in the kitchen. I remember opening up the letter scanning the first few lines, feeling the blood go thick behind my eyes. I remember a sound in my head. It wasn't thinking, just a silent howl. I felt paralyzed. All around me, the options seemed to be narrowing, as if I were hurtling down a huge black funnel, the whole world squeezing in tight. Beyond all this, or at the very center, was the raw fact of terror. I did not want to die. Not ever. Should I run to Canada? After supper one evening, I got sick and went back to my room and lay down for a few minutes. Then I got sick again. And another time in the middle of the afternoon, I began sweating and couldn't shut it off. I went through whole days feeling dizzy with sorrow. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't lie still. At night, I'd toss around in bed, half awake, half dreaming, imagining how I'd have to kill a man. I couldn't tell up from down I was just falling. Late in the night, I'd lie there watching weird pictures spin through my head getting chased by the border patrol, helicopters, searchlights, barking dogs. I'd be crashing through the woods. I'd be down on my hands and knees, people shouting out my name, the law closing in on all sides. My hometown draft board and the FBI and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It all seemed crazy and impossible. 21 years old, an ordinary kid with all the ordinary dreams and ambitions, and all I wanted was to live the life I was born to, a mainstream life. I love baseball and hamburgers and cherry Cokes. And now I is off to the margins of exile, a strange land, Vietnam, leaving my country forever. Seems so impossible, so terrible, and sad. Would you run? Those are the kind of stories she'd read me. Like, and Then you watch movies like, do you remember all those bad Vietnam movies? There's some bad ones like Apocalypse Now. And, well, what's that one with Charlie Sheen? Mike, what's that one with Charlie Sheen? Platoon. Bill, did you ever watch that? Terrifying movie. Well, that's exactly what we're going to read about today. David is feeling this same kind of fear, dread. He's on the run, and all the authorities, the mounted police, the FBI at that day was chasing him. Saul, the king of Israel, was hot on his heels. So if you can, we are going to actually begin in chapter 20. It's going to set the mood for 21, 22, and 23, The title of this message is, He's a Man on the Run. And more importantly, what we're going to talk about in a second is, what do you do when fear is chasing you? Because Jared asked you, what are you scared about today? We're human, we're always scared. What do you do when it seems to be overwhelming? It seems to be so heavy that you don't want to wake up in the morning. Do you ever not want to go to bed because you're so scared? What do you do? All right, we're going to begin 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 27. This is going to set the context for the rest of the next three chapters. They were having a feast day because it was the new moon celebration. It's a religious time, and Saul would have his people around him, his family, and David. But David didn't show up because he knew Saul hated him. So verse 27, chapter 20 of 1 Samuel. But on the second day, the day after the new moon... David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked, Leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice. In the city and my brothers commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me go away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, that's his son, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Have you ever said that to your kid? That's, don't, don't say that. Don't say, say that to your kid. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, Neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. That's the context of 21, 22, and 23. His father was determined, determined, to put David to death, you could say it like this: Saul, from that moment on, would not stop. He would not stop until David was dead. I want you to open up to Psalm fifty-six as well. What's interesting is, 1 Samuel's the history; it's the basically the events, the circumstances of David's life. Psalm fifty-six is his mind. What's going on in David's heart and soul? And Psalm 56 is going to register to us what David felt like. If you look, the title says, To the choir master, according to the dove on a far-off terebinth. That means the dove out in the desert. He felt like a dove far away. A mickham of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So we're going to read about that, where he ran to the Philistines to hide from Saul. And here's what he says, verse 1, 2, and 3. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. And you know he's talking about Saul there. All day long, all day long, there's an oppression. He's feeling a heaviness. He's being chased. Verse 2, my enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly, which leads him to a response. Verse 3 is I'm afraid. He's going to talk about when he's afraid, but he's saying because of my oppressors, because of this trampling, I'm scared to death. terrified. David is a terrified man. I just want to give you some context to what we're talking about here. First of all, the region he ran to is called the Judean wilderness. He was hiding in the Judean wild. The Judean wild, actually the Rexfords, my wife and I got to go see it two years ago, out by the Dead Sea is nothing but rock rock in desert. it's not like sandy desert it's rock they say there's only two inches a year that rains there so it's dead it's caves it's mountainous it's where masada was this is also the region where scholars say jesus was for 40 days being tempted by satan what's very interesting is david is a type of christ he's a picture of the anointed one so here david is running in the desert Jesus, when he first starts his ministry, he's in the desert 40 days. But David wasn't in there just 40 days. Scholars believe he was being hunted for 10 years in the desert. 10 years in this place. So the running time, that's a long period to feel hunted, oppressed, and beaten down. He was hungry and thirsty. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, there's the first story is about David going to this town called Nob and he went into the priest's temple and he talked to this priest and he went to the priest and he said I'm hungry do you have anything to eat and see if you look in verse 3 through 6 he asked the priest in verse 3 what do you have on hand give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here we just need something to feed me and my men the priest answered David I have no common bread that means just stuff you have on your shelves But there is holy bread, and holy bread is when you go into the temple, there would be an altar of incense, but also there would be an altar of showbread. Ten loaves, five on a side, stacked. You can imagine like those loaves, that you, the, the unleavened loaves that you rip in half. Five on one side, five on the other, and that was to stand in front of the altar. And only the priests were allowed to eat that. But David said, I'm hungry. So if you look in verse... Four. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread, but there's only holy bread. The young men you have kept themselves from women, have they kept themselves? Are they pure? And David answered the priest, truly, women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there is no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread, On a day, it's taken away. So once you take that bread out, they replace it because there's always to be bread. This is, remember when Jesus was going through the fields and they were grabbing grain? They said, how dare you allow your disciples to eat grain without washing on the Sabbath? And he goes, remember David took the showbread? And he's basically saying, God has more care for the immediate needs than fulfilling some ritual. But this is the story. David's hungry. That's the point. So hungry he has to get the bread from the priest. That was basically for the temple. David is also defenseless. If you keep reading, look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Then David said to Ahimelech, they, Have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. In other words, he took off and he didn't have any weapons with him. Verse 9: And the priest said to Sword of Goliath the Philistine, Remember the guy you struck down the valley of Elah? Behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you'll take that, take it. For there is none but that here. David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. So that he was really defenseless and he had to get Goliath's sword. And then he felt like a hunted man. And if you go to Psalm 56.6, he tells you about his heart again. It's very interesting. Verse 6 you want to begin in verse 5, he says, all day long they injure my cause, meaning they're trying to destroy me. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Verse 6, they stir up strife. They lurk. The idea is they're always hiding. You never know where they're going to be. They're always behind me. They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. What's interesting, so he's saying, "I'm I'm being hunted like an animal. If you look in uh, chapter 21 again, he goes to the priest and he asks the priest for bread and he asks the priest for a sword. Verse 7 of chapter 21, there's this strange man there. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Dog, the Edomite, chief of Saul's herdmen. This guy is the deep state. He's He's the guy that gives all the news on Trump right there. Dog is that guy. He's the guy. That's releasing all the inside information. And what happens later on, if you go to chapter 22, Saul hears that David got bread from the priests. Well, why? Because a Dog. And he had all the priests slaughtered at the temple. And that none of his men wanted to do it, so Dog did it. Look at chapter 22, verse 9. You can look at verse 8. Saul is mad at the priests. All of you have conspired against me. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me And my son has served up my servant against me. He's mad. Saul's just on fire to lie and to wait at this day. Then answered Dog the Edomite who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. Aha, see, I've got... I got inside information. I saw him with the priest. So verse 17 of that same chapter, And the king said to the guard who stood by him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants, they didn't want to put their hand to the priest. You want to kill the priest? No. So verse 18 then the king said to Dog, you turn and strike the priest. And Dog the Edomite turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen. He killed 85 of God's servants right in the temple. Dog. Saul wanted David bad. Saul was hot on his trail. And so can, you can imagine David, he was terrified. I would call this a the dark night of the soul, is the way poets put it. You've had dark night of the soul. Dark night of the soul is when you can't get out of that funk. One person put it like this. The dark night of the soul is where a small yet constant trickle of fear meanders through your mind until it cuts a channel until which all your other thoughts are drained. It's that one thing that you can't get out of your mind and it sucks all the attention. That's the dark night of the soul. David was being hunted. Charles Spurgeon writes that all of us are prone to this dark night because we're all human. Therefore, we are all liable to be overthrown. We are feeble. Therefore, we're unable to prevent our fear. We're sinful. We just, so therefore, we deserve it. And for all these reasons... We have fear. My question for you is the same one Jared asked, what are you afraid of? And a way you can tell when you're scared is you're scared that you're gonna either lose your way that you always knew your life was gonna go. Your future looks dark and you're worried about your reputation. What will people think of me? What will people think of me if this comes true? Some people carry this fear for years, and it can consume you. And it was bad for David. Psalm 56, look at verse 8. Verse 8 is just, this is the mind of David. Have you ever felt like this? Verse 8, he's writing to God, you have kept count of my tossings. Tossings is the idea, he cannot sleep, he cannot Be at rest. He's tossing, turning, churning. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And really this idea of bottle is in a wineskin. Put my tears in a full wineskin. That's how much I'm distressed. You ever been to that place where you just can't stop crying? It's horrible. But what David says is when, when that happens... At that moment, God records them and he keeps them. They are precious to him. Your sufferings and pain. I was thinking about this Psalm ninety fifteen. The psalmist says, Lord, make us as glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Give us joy for as many years as we've seen evil. And he's saying that because God, God knows precisely how many days you've suffered. So he's replying to God, please let me be, let me have equal amount of joy. So what do you do when fear haunts you? And if you think you have it bad, I want to show you how bad it got for David. Look how bad it got for David. Go to 1 Samuel 21. This is a a bizarre story. 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15. If you think you have it bad, listen to this. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Gath is where Goliath was from. So he's going to the enemy of Goliath. He's going to the Philistines. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David? <laughs> is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him? And distru- Saul has struck down his thousands and David- This is the champion? That's what they're saying. Is this not David? Let's bring him to the king. And David heard him talk and he took those words to the heart and was, he was much afraid of going to the king. So he changed his behavior before him and he pretended to be insane. And he made marks on the doors of the gates and let his spittle run down his beard. So he's, he's drooling and he's going up and he's marking the doors. Arnie, right, sorry, you're going to have to clean that later. But could, what's wrong with this guy? And so look at how the rest goes. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man's mad. He's crazy. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman? Am I... Shall this fellow come, fellow come into my house? So David was so terrified he's going to die right now. I'll, you know, I have no other options. I'll just act crazy. That's what I'll do. That's a, have you ever tried it It work? you don't like somebody, just act crazy. They'll leave you right away. Really. Just grab the walls and scrape them. Works for Doug. I've seen him do it normally. Anyhow, let's keep reading. So, are you afraid? And when you're afraid, I'm just going to offer you three responses that I find in Psalm 56. And here, number one, when you are afraid, run to the one, run to the one who is truly scary. Fear, the objective of fear, I said it two weeks ago, wants to bring you into a state of immobility where you don't do anything. You're stuck in your couch and you cry. You lay in your bed and you put your pillow over your head and you just lay there. You're in despair. That's how fear works. I read an article about a lion's roar, actually, and it says a, lion, a lion's roar is not meant to cause an animal to run, but to put them in a state of just complete, they don't, they hear the low guttural roar and they don't know where it's coming from. It's supposed to echo and they don't know where to go. So they stay there. And while they stay there, the lion pounces. That's what fear does. Fear and worry do the same thing to you. And when you let worry consume you, somebody said, worry is like a rocking chair, man, you think you're getting busy, but you aren't going anywhere. Look at Psalm 56, 3 and 4. You've got to let this ring true. Psalm 56, 3 and 4 and 9 and 10. And listen to how David is going to do a comparison. Verse 3, when I am afraid, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Why? What can flesh do to me? He's making a comparison. If I run to God, what can man do to me when I'm hiding under him? It says the same thing in 9 and 10. Then my enemies will turn back, in the day when I call, this I know, I know this, God is for me. This is where Romans 8 comes in. God is for me, who can be against me? It's quoting this verse. And that day when I call this, I know that God is for me, and God whose word I praise, and the Lord whose word I praise, and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? You know what I, how Isaiah describes man? In God's presence, they're like a grasshopper. Do you believe God exists? If he does, who really compares? Fear usually happens because you really aren't living by faith. Number two, when you're afraid not only run to the one who's truly scary, actually, Jesus says it like this. I just want to read this. This is Luke 12, 4 through 7. I tell you, my friends, and just listen to these words. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Number two. David, doesn't he not, he not only does he run to God, but he takes refuge. He takes refuge in this amazing, caring, kind of strange community. We find it in chapter 22. It's kind of weird. Listen to verse chapter twenty two, verse one. This is first Samuel. David departed from there, so he left that Achish guy, Gath. He departed there and escaped to the cave of Abdulum, and this is in the Judean wilderness. It's a cave cut out of the rock, big. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt And everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So probably with their kids and children, probably a 1,000 people. David didn't have to face his fear alone because he had two groups that came to his aid hiding in a cave. The first was his family. He had his family. His brothers, all of them were older than them. They came to give his brothers support. They knew David was God's man. And then number two, those who it says, they are described as they're distressed. Probably felt Saul's oppression. They were in debt. At that day, if you owed money, you had to become an indentured slave, servant. And I guarantee you, even though the Judean law says after seven years they released, I bet you Saul could care less about Jewish law. And number three, they were discontent. They were bitter in soul, meaning these are the people who hate life. I hate life. I hate it. Not only does this group support David, but they still rally around him and they take care of their own. In chapter 23, they go to rescue a community that's being attacked by the Philistines. So this community gathers around David, but they still do good things, things that Saul won't do, because David is a good man. They're still willing to do God's will in a world that doesn't really want them. Is there a community like this today? Where the family where family, the distressed, debtors, and discontent can rally around an exiled king that nobody wants? We call it the church. Jesus is exiled right now. he's not wanted, and people who are distressed, in debt, who are um, discontent can run to him. Often, I find families that come together to come worship him. first corinthians one twenty six to twenty eight describes the church like this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were a noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In other words, God chose us to join him in his cave underneath his king. I would love. I was thinking a new name for the church, Arnie. You know, some people said we've got to change the name of the church. Let's call it the cave at Kent City. Wouldn't that be cool? the cave it sounds like listen to the echo and hear there. you can hear the drip from the stalagmite Blink. that'd be cool. get some stalagmites coming down that'd be nice a place where we can come to encourage and lift up one another that's the church are you distressed by your sin are you a debtor not just financially but also do you owe god we all do How about, um, are you discontent? Are you happy with the way our world is? Are you happy with our politics? It's funny, just thinking about the church. A lot of people blame the church for not doing enough. Actually, just like this, I find the church is just the opposite. I think, I have never seen people in our church do more for people without anybody else knowing about it. The beauty of the church is they do things for others without telling the world. It's a great place to be part of a community like this. And when you're in fear, they're the ones you can run to because they understand. Third thing to do when you're afraid, and this is really cool too, find a faithful friend. I want to show you something beautiful. Jonathan is an amazing guy. But look at chapter 23. 15 to 18. It's crazy. In the beginning of chapter 23, David and his cave dwellers rescued these people from Keilah, but they turned in David to Saul, so Saul's still hunting them. And here we have chapter 23, verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, so Saul's not done. He won't quit. David was in the wilderness of Ziph and at Horish, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And here's what he said to David. So David's in fear. David's worried about his life. David's oppressed. Jonathan says, don't fear. Do not fear. Why? For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you because you're going to be the king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father also knows this, and the two of them made a covenant before God. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. David had a real friend. You need a person who sees past the smoke and the ash of the battle and gets you back to the right path, tells you truths, and says, "I'm behind you." When fear comes crashing in, you need a person that will say, "Keep going." You do. You cannot be desperado. It's a cool country song. Desperado. Feel like singing that, drinking a beer. I'm all by myself here at the bar. Well, you're a fool, too. That's stupid. Come to your senses. Been out riding fences for too long now. You're a hard one? Well, quit it, Chris. All right. You know what Proverbs 18.24 says? Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions will come to ruin. You know, the person that wants everybody to like him. However, there is a friend that will stick closer to you than a brother. Find them. Find that person you can run to. You can tell them everything. I'm, dis- I'm distressed. I'm in debt. I'm discontent. It's all right. Do you have a friend like that? If you don't, you need one. It's the only reason I made it this far in this church as a pastor is because I have friends that pray for me. And so David did these three things, trusted in his God, he had a community around him, he had a friend. He was able to survive ten years in that horrible Judean wild. This last story is pretty cool. Look at chapter 23. Verse 25, Saul and his men went to seek him. They kind of were hunting him down. They knew where he was going to be, in this Arabah, south of Jeshimun. They had him isolated. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of man. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of man. And so Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away. Saul was bearing down. He was close. And Saul and his men were closing in, and his men to capture them. All of a sudden, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry, come, the Philistines have made a raid against our land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So he had him. He had him in his grip. And all of a sudden, God intervened and said, oh, Don't worry about it, David. And therefore, therefore, that place was called Rock of Escape wasn't the rock that saved him, but it was the rock that saved him. It wasn't the small rock that saved him, it was the large, capital R, rock that saved him. God arrives at the right time as he always does, and you have a rock of escape if you trust in him. I've told this story before, but a long time ago so many of you will not remember the story, so I will tell it again. This is one of my all-time favorite stories. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. When I was uh, in college, I played rugby, and I told you I was a scaredy cat. And rugby's a terrifying game when you're small like I was in college. I've been eating a lot since that time, so I'm a little bit bigger than I was. And uh, we would go and we would play some pretty scary teams. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base had all these, you know, military guys we'd play. Or we'd play, uh, remember we played University of Kentucky in Tennessee, and they'd have big guys. And I remember we'd get to the field and you'd see the other team come out of their bus and they, half of the team didn't have teeth because rugby's not the best, it's not the best sport. Other guys would have these scars on their eyes, you know, and they're eating 10 cans coming off. Yeah, I'm terrified. And our coach made a stretch on the field and then he said, I want you guys to line up. And we had to run around the perimeter of the field. And I'm like, man, I hate that because the other team's going to, they're, they're stretching, and, I'm, and as I'm running, I'm looking at the other team, you know. And, but as I'm looking at the other team stretching, I'm noticing in their eyes is abject fear. Like, what are they scared of? They're not looking at me, I guarantee you. They're not looking at me, but they're looking at the guy that leads us in running around the field. We had a guy named Matt Tui. Matt Tuey was 6'4", 285 pounds, did not have one ounce of fat on his body. At that time, he had that hair that was spiked up back in the late 80s, that Max Headroom look. And he would, they got him the tightest shirt they could find, and he would, oh, I know why, our coach had him lead us around the field. Because he terrified the other team, and he was on my team. He was on my team team and he was good do you know who leads us in the battle the one that the demons say son of son of david don't have anything to do with me the demons see him and run and he runs in front of me leads my path do you understand who leads us we are scared no, the world is scared at our leader. His name's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the leader of this strange bunch of people hiding in a cave, and he is the rock of our escape. Reason why we have this table here is because it shows us, it shows us how he already won our battle. This is the bread, which means he died. And then this is. The blood or the juice, which represents his blood was spilled, which means he's made a new agreement for us, so we no longer have to fear the wrath of our Father. If we believe in Jesus by faith, by accept his payment by faith, I enter into the presence of the most holy, most perfect, the scariest being in the world, and I'm set free. And I'm his son, or I'm his daughter. His name's Jehovah. This is the rock of our escape. Have you ever received it?